Welcome to the Unbranded Podcast with Miss Dean Loves You, where we have interesting conversations with interesting people and learn about unconventional ways to live our best lives. I'm your host, Susie Dean. I'm a former teacher, mother in her MILF era, and wife. I have the incredible experience now of exploring topics and ways of living that I've always been curious about. The conversations on this pod are always relaxed, authentic, and might just teach you a thing or two. I promise that every episode will leave you with a deeper sense of self and understanding for those who are different from you. So get comfy cozy, grab a drink of your choice, and let's have some fun together. Hi, it's me. I am doing a solo episode today, and it's been a while since I've done a solo. So, hey, happy to hang out with you guys and talk about updates in my life, what I'm thinking about. Um, I'm feeling a little nervous because we're going to be talking about my semi-sobriety. I like to say that I am an accidental, most of the time, sober person. And we'll get into that later. But at the beginning of this podcast, when I first started it, I was doing a lot of storytelling. Why I quit teaching, what my four-day labor was like. Um, I think I also talked about like our goals. Did I peak too early? Just thoughts and emotions that were deep and intricate and required background information. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I, I, I didn't script those episodes, but I had an outline and I took the time to journal on each of those topics before I sat down to record because I wanted to make sure that I had all of my facts straight and it was delivered in a digestible manner. And today I'm not doing that. And there's no reason for that other than I am kind of late to the recording game right now. I wouldn't say that I procrastinated because I haven't really had the opportunity to sit down and do that, though I would, I, I have been yearning for more time and opportunity to journal in general, not even just for the podcast. Um, so I'm just going to tell my story and hopefully it resonates with some of you. Hopefully it makes sense as it comes out of my mouth from my mind. Hopefully it tracks and is easy to follow and I don't have too many slubs, but I guess at this point, what is this, like episode 27? We know each other. We're friends. If you're listening, we're buds. This is just us chatting, having a conversation across the table over cocktails and mocktails. <laughs> um, but I just want, I want to start by giving you a little bit of, up, of an update of just what's going on in my life in case you care. Right now, I'm in my bedroom, which... I love my bedroom is just my sacred space and it always has been. I do set up like a cute little office corner in here when I am doing my work. And I thought that that was going to mess up the energy of the room, make it less cozy and welcoming and safe and more high stress. And maybe it is and I'm just not paying attention to it. But for right now, I've just been loving spending a lot of time in my room. I'm not sick of it. So I'm in my room. I'm sitting in my rocking chair, which 
was a hard purchase to make. My husband, Robbie, was like, before we had the baby, should we buy a new couch or should we put that money toward a rocking chair or vice versa? Should we buy a rocking chair or put that money toward a new couch? We asked all of our friends and just about every single one said buy a rocking chair. And I'm actually so glad that we did because I'm in this thing all the time. It is so comfy cozy. I'm crisscross applesauce. I have a blanket over me to stay warm. I'm wearing leggings, slippers, uh, one of my favorite hoodies. It had, it is 542 on Thursday. You're listening to this on Friday. Um, Robbie has the baby in the living room so that I can record this. And I'm so grateful for him uh, to give me the space to, to do this. He's had the baby most of the day, actually, so I can get caught up on work. And I think that's a beautiful part of our marriage and a beautiful part of any marriage when you don't tally the amount of time that you spend with the baby on a given day and you approach every single day as which partner needs what, what needs to get done, and then you fluctuate your roles accordingly. And today I had a lot more work to do that I needed to get caught up on. So he took the baby for the majority of the day and I got a lot of work done. Um, It's overcast here. We had a beautiful sunny morning. I walked out onto the beach and the water was just gorgeous. It has been hitting lately. Um, But then it's been raining on and off all day. And I know this might surprise people, but I love rainy, gloomy, thundery days. And I have, we've had some big storms in South Florida recently, but every single time they just like, just barely miss my city. And I've been so frustrated because I love more than anything, cracking the door open listening to the rain, curling up and reading a book, keeping the lights down low, like lamp lights only, lighting some candles, blasting my diffusers. It's just so cozy to me. So I'm, I just finished my work for the day. I'm sitting down to record this. Afterward, I will eat dinner, have some leftovers from last night, and then start my very intricate and sacred nighttime bath time ritual routine, which I'll have to share with you guys another time. This week, I've been really also anxious. And I I know that anxiety and depression are like the trendy mental health disorders these days, but I have had anxiety since middle school, generalized anxiety, like a lot of people. And I'm a depressed girly, but love my drugs for that one. Um, I, in the past, when it comes to my anxiety, have always been able to find a source. It was caused by specific thoughts and specific events. But in the last maybe five or six years, I will get overwhelming chest tightness, um, inability to breathe just out of nowhere. And this week specifically, that's what happened, but it happened so much worse. I... I felt like my chest was going to explode. I felt nauseous because of my anxiety, which has never happened to me before. It's never manifested in that way. Um, I had to take my rescue meds like every day this week, which I'm trying not to feel guilty about because I did need them. I was, it was, it was getting to the point where I, I couldn't be present with my son. I wasn't, 
I want to make sure that as my son is growing up, I'm not modeling my anxiety in front of him unless it's in a healthy way. And I don't exactly know how to do that yet. So I'm trying to watch that. And, you know, I'm glad I took my rescue meds today. I feel so much better. Um, And I was able to stay focused and productive and creative. But that's been a weird thing. And I actually was in a tapping group. You guys listened, hopefully, to the episode with Lindsay Lewis, Tapping Unstuck. And I was in her tapping group yesterday, and we were tapping on what we were feeling. And I brought up that I've just been feeling so overwhelmingly anxious, and I don't know why. And she prompted me with some more questions, and I explored feelings in my body. And I realized I am anxious because I have a very high, long, big to-do list, of course. I mean, natural, like I, I, knew, I knew that. And the problem is I can't get to that to-do list because of the baby. Now, this is not to say that my baby is a bother. He is not. Every time he tries to type on my computer or pull my earbuds out or knock my table over, I just use it as a reminder to stop what I'm doing, hold my baby, be present with him because he is my most important job. But at the same time, every time I stop to hold and be with and love on my baby, in the back of my mind, I just see this to-do list growing and the time that I could be spending on it, not spending time on it. And that takes away from the presence that I want to be exhibiting with my son, that worry, that distraction in my mind. Um, so it, it, it happened to be really good as I was talking about through all of this with my husband last night. It we came up with a really good plan for today and I woke up at 5.30 naturally. It was very nice. Got all ready and he took the baby to a meeting regarding our new home. So I got like three to four solid hours of work in this morning and he's taking the baby again now and I am so great. I already feel significantly less anxious and I know that we're going to have a good night. So with all of those updates being said, Let's talk about my accidental, most of the time, sobriety. (laughs) I want to bring it back to childhood and how alcohol was modeled for me. I wouldn't consider, I've got to be careful about how I say this, alcohol was definitely present in my home a lot. Drunkenness was exhibited in my home and at family events often. Lots of scary things happened um, with alcohol involved, but that never, nothing scary or traumatizing enough to make me say no to alcohol like forever, as some people do. However, at the same time, I was I was like a pretty good kid and I'm shocked considering considering I never went to parties in high school. I think I maybe went to one or two. I didn't really drink at them. I don't think I actually got drunk for the first time until college. I never snuck out. I never like none of that was was my style. Um I did have like a year or two in college of, you know, going to bars and getting vodka cranberries and just 
throwing up in the morning and feeling icky and, you know, just sitting, drinking to get drunk and gross drinking, like sweaty bars, sticky floors. I had fun, I suppose, when I was drunk. Things were silly. But yeah, it was it was less of me intentionally drinking and making the choice to and more of just kind of mindlessly doing what everybody else is doing. That transferred as I uh, spent more time in college. I became a little bit more of a homebody once I joined my sorority, which was so ironic. And I still drank um, alcohol, like liquor, and I still get drunk. And that was very normal. But we started, Susie started to mature in her alcohol. And I started going to wineries and having wine flights and maybe sitting on the couch and drinking a bottle of wine with my best, myself, (laughs) with my best friend, Colleen, who would also have a bottle of wine herself and um, watching Trainwreck on the couch. And that was fun. And it felt good. I, I would drink these glasses of wine and you know, soon I would start feeling fuzzy and warm and I would notice my thoughts changing. Like all of a sudden my thoughts turned into hopefulness and creativity and joy and everything's going to be okay. And so I could just sit on the couch in this like blissed out state. But even then it was never like always having wine in the fridge, just getting plastered, none of that. Um, it was, it was, in the college context, it was under control. Around my senior year from like, okay, so from like my senior year to maybe 23, maybe 23, uh, I drank a lot of wine and beer. I, you know, by the pool, going to breweries with my now husband. And that really served me. Alcohol was a blessing then. I would always, my senior year, get Moe's Queso, a bottle of red wine, and sit out on my patio in the evening with my twinkly lights on, listening to the wind blowing through the magnolia trees, and write papers, and do research, and read research, and, and study and when I did that, the, I don't know what it was about red wine or the way that my body reacted to it, but I just got so creative. And that's what I always did. That was my ritual. I would sit down, I would have a paper outlined already, and I would just start drinking my wine, eating my most queso and write. And I was, I was so creative and motivated and I could really focus on what I was doing and you know, by the end of the night, once I had finished that bottle, I had usually written like 75 to 100 to 75 to 80% of what the paper was supposed to be. And and the next day I would edit it. I don't know which author said, write, write drunk, edit sober. I think it was Ernest Hemingway. I could be wrong. And then once I graduated high school or once I graduated from college, I went into teaching and soon well, while I was in TFA, I was like drinking for other reasons. But when I got to my other high school, I would sit down and drink red wine and have cheese boards 
alone in my room and grade papers and just like bang out a ton of papers. I would develop creative lesson plans for the week. I would I would make worksheets. I would make beautiful PowerPoints for class. Like it was really serving. I woke up, I felt fine because I was just a young chicken, a spring chicken, as they say, during that time. Um, I would also, you know, after school sometimes go to a taco bar and sit at the bar, grade papers, work on school stuff and drink some margaritas. And it was, it was all fine. Like I felt good. It was serving me. I was productive. I was creative and it was beautiful. And I'm not, oh, I know where this took a turn. COVID. That's where things started to get rocky. And then they got rocky after that again, too. I, from everyone I've talked to, I don't, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I mean, sitting alone in your house during COVID, I mean, we were drinking at like 9, 10, 11 a.m. Like time was, time was non-existent. Time is a social construct and we would drink every day and my friend Colleen would be over and we just like shotgun white claws and play drinking games and have church mimosas when we watch church on Sunday um <laughs> sit by the pool and like I'd have like if I really got crazy like my tolerance went way up and I'm embarrassed to say this but I I would drink like two I could drink two to three bottles of wine and and we lived right next to an Aldi and it was just like I would I would walk I could walk there from my apartment complex and get more like very cheap wine and that's when things started to get bad because I started to become not the same person when I drank and that's around the time when I would drink and I would wake up the next morning and feel so much shame and sometimes it was warranted I I became very sassy when I drank uh, I would initiate fights with my husband when I drank. I would become very like overly emotional. Uh, I would I would say dumb stuff. I would I would make really questionable, icky choices that didn't align with my values when I was sober. And of course, there was like the hangovers. Once you turn twenty five, hangovers hit different, <laughs> and they lasted all day, sometimes two. And it was it was not fun. But even then. I never considered not drinking or anything like maybe a couple days would go by and I wouldn't drink. And then, you know, sure enough, we'd hang out with our friends again, have some have like a a celebration birthday at someone's house. And, you know, there'd be the shots flowing and the wine and then all all of the things. And the same thing would happen. I would get into a fight with my husband in the car, resentment all night. I'd end up having to apologize in the morning. And that's where the shame and embarrassment really started. Um, then there was my bachelorette party. I felt so, like, I don't know why I got so drunk. Maybe, maybe I just didn't eat appropriately. I don't, I don't know. But there are like three or four core memories I have of nights where I was so intoxicated and I I didn't black out I I've never blacked out um from my own drinking 
But there are a couple of memories, like waking up with bruises on my arm because my best friend Colleen had to pick me up from the ground. Having a panic attack in front of my best friend Colleen when I, or my best friend Audrey when I was drunk and her having to call my mom to pick me up when we were supposed to be having a sleepover, like, you know, a grown up sleepover. Those are icky memories um, that I even still think back to and I'm just scared to confront and I'm scared to think about them for too long. And I'm, I'm really scared to feel the feelings around those, um, which is very unlike. And then after COVID, I had a miscarriage in 2021. And if you listen to my pregnancy loss episode, you know that in the span of like 24 to 36 hours, I found out that I was miscarrying. 20 minutes after I found out I was miscarrying, my best friend Colleen called me and told me that her dad died suddenly. And we found out some very devastating news from my husband's family. So I was overwhelmed with all of this big information. And my miscarriage went on the back burner. And again, I never do this. And I always advise against this. Feel your feelings. Get through it. Do not numb yourself with alcohol. But there was just so much going on. I didn't know what else to do to cope. And soon enough, like the miscarriage happened in July. And I think by the school year, once the school year started fall, it would get really bad. I would just come home and drink a bottle of wine and inevitably end up on the ground in my bathroom, bawling, hitting my head against the cabinets, kind of in a self-punishment way. And I didn't know until months after that this was all a manifestation of, of my miscarriage, of not processing it, not really giving myself time to grieve what it meant. I was very much, I, I, I think that I knew in order to get through it with everything going on, I just had to tell myself, you know, it wasn't meant to be. My body knew that there was something wrong and did everything that it could to protect me. Um, and I'm so appreciative of the intelligence of my body. So I didn't, I, I didn't have that time to really process those emotions. And it scared me. It scared my husband. Um, but that drinking, that type of drinking went on. And it was wine. Um, but that doesn't make it any different. Because I would still end up crying on the floor, hitting my head, scaring my husband, worrying my husband, starting fights with my husband. And it really drove a wedge in our relationship and our intimacy and our emotional vulnerability with each other. And so I guess that brings me up until, oh, and also, and also this is a big part of it. When I drank is when my eating disorder got the worst. I would drink and I would purge. That tried to dig into that with my therapist during the time a lot. So lots of icky things, lots of things that I regret, lots of lots of shame around drinking, even when I didn't do necessarily anything embarrassing or bad. I woke up with a lot of shame for drinking and I still haven't figured out where that where that comes from. But I guess, okay, fast forward to me getting pregnant, couldn't drink, obviously. And, you know, in the beginning, I was like, oh, I really miss drinking. I could really use a glass of wine right now. I want to be drinking beers with everybody. But you know what? Soon enough, I might have been 
four, I might've been, I was five and a half months pregnant at my friend Olivia's wedding. And I was so appreciative that I was sober. It was so much fun because I could watch everyone else get drunk. I could, I I know some people get annoyed with this, but I love having sober conversations with drunk people. I think it's hilarious. I could enjoy the party. Maybe I wasn't doing anything crazy like dancing on the dance floor, but I went home and I woke up and I felt great and I had an awesome night of sleep. Like who can beat waking up feeling great when everyone else is hungover? Oh, hangovers suck, dude. It's never worth it. And so it got to the point where I didn't even really crave alcohol, even not even really like after I give birth, which is kind of sad to me because I was I was waiting for the day because I felt like I had to. There was the occasional day where it was springtime and it was sunny and it was warm. And I really, really, really just wanted to sit on a lawn and drink a cold beer and like, I don't know, just enjoy the sunlight. But other than that, like, I, I, I was just so grateful to be waking up feeling good every day. Good considering my, you know, being pregnant. After I gave birth, didn't really want alcohol that much. Um, started drinking again. Started getting my tolerance back up again. But it hit different, you guys. I, I think I've gotten drunk two or three times since I gave birth eight months ago. And the the high that I used to get, I didn't get anymore. My body either rejected it by just like not getting drunk and I would I would drink and I just wouldn't feel anything or I would get drunk and then I would just it would just feel so artificial. I didn't have creativity flowing through me anymore. I didn't have presence flowing through me anymore. I didn't have focus. I didn't have happy, warm, fuzzy thoughts. It it was just kind of, I don't know how to describe it, like a synthetic, heavy blanket over my body and over my my mind and my thoughts. There was a time when I was uh, going on my walks with my son every night and I would have a cocktail in hand or a beer. And that was like an every night thing. And it was okay. I didn't get drunk, but I had like two or three beers on my walk. And that was nice, you know, taking your kid on a walk, looking at all the dogs, the other families, the beautiful houses at sunset and having a beer. It was nice. I got create. I I did get some creative ideas on those walks. That's where the podcast was born. That's where ideas around the podcast was born. And then I just started kind of feeling guilty for drinking every single day. And I talked to my friends and, and they'd be like, you know, we drink like once or twice a week. Like we don't really drink on the weekdays. And I was like, oh my God, I drink every single day. And I'm embarrassed to say that now a little bit. But yeah, I would drink every day. My husband would drink every day, have some whiskey at the end of the day, me a glass of wine or or some beer on my walk. And, and that started getting the ball rolling. Like what if I just tried to go on a walk and didn't grab a truly or didn't grab a can of beer. And at first, I can't I can't pinpoint the day, but at first it felt weird and I wanted it. And I left the house and I was like, "Oh, I just kind of, I just want something in my hand like 
even when I would go on the walks, it's not that I wanted or craved or yearned for alcohol. I just wanted something in my hand to sip. And I would leave the building empty-handed with my water bottle, listening to We Can Do Hard Things by Glennon Doyle. And within minutes, I, I wasn't thinking about, about the alcohol. And I noticed that I was drinking a lot more water during my walks. So I was hydrating appropriately. And I guess that the drinking of alcohol sub subdued my desire for actual water. And I was like, okay, this was nice. And, and you know, maybe the next day I did it too. And maybe another day I, I did grab some drinks, but it was, it was lessening. It was tapering off. And before I knew it, I had gone like, I don't know, a week without drinking and I didn't, I didn't want alcohol anymore. I didn't care to bring it on my walks. I didn't care to buy it. I didn't care to order it at restaurants with our friends. If we went to a Taco Tuesday with our friends, I might grab a beer just because everybody else was. But I started noticing that I wasn't even finishing the beer. I wasn't even really enjoying the taste of alcohol anymore. And so I just started listening to my body. I'm not going to force this beer down just because we're at a party. I'm not in the mood for it. I don't want to buy alcohol. I don't want to do it just to do it. And I started noticing changes. Once I became aware that I was not drinking and I was not enjoying drinking and I wasn't finishing like a single beer, that's when I started to pay attention. And it's, I mean, I, I hate to break it to you guys, but like not drinking has been dope. <laughs> it fixes like all of your problems. I mean, except for my anxiety. Well, my, you know, I was definitely more anxious while I was drinking, but my sleep got so much deeper. And that's when my, my bath time, nighttime ritual started. My sleep got so much deeper for the first time in as long as I can remember. I mean, besides like the baby I was sleeping through the night and once the baby started sleeping through the night I started sleeping through the night and when I say sleep through the night like I wasn't getting up to go to the bathroom I was going to bed and then the next thing I knew it was morning which was wild to me I was falling asleep quickly I was feeling sleepy during the evening time I I know I talk I talk a lot about this on my on my TikTok um so it's I weird feel feeling weird about whether or not I should bring it up here, but when I stopped drinking, that's when that is when people started making comments about my body and my weight loss. So I think what that was was a whole bunch of bloat just getting like being eliminated from my body because I stopped drinking. Was waking up with so much energy. I mean, look at me now. I woke up at five thirty this morning, not because of anxiety, though anxiety was there. I just I woke up and I was up. And I felt energized and I felt ready to start the day. I feel so good to wake up sober. <laughs> I feel so good to be emotionally present with people. I feel so good to not have embarrassing memories that I can't really justify. I think the best thing is not having these unnecessary fights picked by me 
in our marriage. And, you know, I'm glad that I can just be present with my son. I don't, I, I, sometimes it makes me feel icky um, being, if I were to be like drunk with my son. I don't know how I feel about that. It's been like three months, maybe four months that I've been accidentally almost sober. Most of the time sober. Because I do still try to have a drink once in a while just to see how it goes down. Because for a long time, like my husband and I really love going to wineries and we love going to breweries. That's like our couple hobby. And I don't want to, I don't want to lose that. So sometimes I will have a glass of wine or a beer or a margarita. And sometimes it, it hits and it's, it's yummy and it's just what I need. And it, it cools me down or makes me feel like just a little bit fuzzy. But I always listen to myself and I stop when I'm done, when I don't feel like I need any more. There's no more, there's so much more awareness around alcohol when I do drink it now. And sometimes I order a beer and I take a couple of sips and I'm just not into it. So I pass it over to my husband. I don't try to force it down. I just listen to my body. And I think that that's another thing that I'm realizing as I speak has come from this is being so much more in tune with what my body has to tell me the relationship that I have with my body and developing a relationship with my intuition and really flexing that muscle. I don't, like I said, have a desire for alcohol. I don't necessarily like need mocktails, but I'll make them sometimes just because I think they're tasty. I don't feel weird about not having a drink when everybody else does. And that's where I am. I don't, I don't have any like huge epiphanies that came out of this or or words of wisdom, but I know that a lot of you are sober curious and I don't like saying sober curious because I don't even want to identify as sober because sometimes I do still want to drink and I don't want to be put in a box like that. Sometimes I do still want to see if it slaps, but I know some of you have been probably curious more about limiting your alcohol intake and what that could look like. And I know it's hard. It's hard when you're in the habit of always ordering this when you're at this restaurant or always going for that glass of wine when you come home from school or work or work <laughs> or always just like, you know, ordering that bottomless mimosa at brunch with your friends. And it can be hard to break those habits. And, you know, I just, if you're interested in doing this, I ask you to just take a pause in those moments if drinking is one of those habitual ritualistic um, routines for you, take a pause, take a five minute pause and just think, do I want this? Do I want this? And sometimes you will. Sometimes you crave the taste of sweet, sweet champagne or a crispy IPA. But you'll find that sometimes you're just ordering it because everyone else is, or you're just ordering it because you want to be as on the same level as everybody else when they start getting drunk, or you're ordering it because you want to have a good time and be silly and get out of your comfort zone. And, you know, none of that is bad. If, if, if you want to have, if you, if you don't necessarily want the alcohol, but what you do want is to loosen up around people you don't know very well, that's dope. 
you go. But I think that starting to develop that awareness around when you're grabbing alcohol, why you're grabbing alcohol, what your body is telling you when you're trying to grab that alcohol is a huge first step. And I can tell you that if you can commit, if you really want to lessen your alcohol intake and reevaluate and analyze your relationship with alcohol, for me, it took three days. Three days of not grabbing alcohol when I usually would. And I was so quickly sleeping better, feeling better, looking better. I didn't even want alcohol anymore. I lost the taste for it. I lost the craving for it. I lost the desire to use it in like a ritualistic routine habit manner and just coasted from there and continued to listen to myself and what my body was telling me. If you are someone who, I I will tell you some alternatives I use though. Um, I have a hemp oil extract from Appalachian Standard. You might follow the girl on TikTok, Fitty Shades of Green. As as a very anxious girly, CBD has always been a joke to me. It does not do anything. I think it is a lie. I I, I think that it is a lie and it is a placebo whenever people say that it works for them. But I will say um, this Appalachian Standard tincture, it works for me. It chills me out at the end of the night. Also, Apothecary with a K, they have a lot of herbal blends and they have a tincture uh, that you can put in drinks and make mocktails with. And it's a specifically curated blend of herbs to calm you down, give you that fuzzy feeling. And it, um, it kind of replaces that feeling of alcohol without the negative feelings of alcohol and the negative impacts of alcohol. And finally, I haven't tried this out personally yet, but there was a company on the Skinny Confidential. And I think that they do botanical like elixirs, drinks that are is is in the same line as apothecary like all natural ingredients to make you feel good and relaxed oh and one more thing one more thing there is a place nearby me um a cafe that sells kratom i encourage you to look up kratom do your own research and it's like a tea and i'll get red kratom which calms you down iced with some blueberry what do I order I think I do blueberry lavender (laughs) flavors in it and that is also a drink that will will definitely calm me down so if I'm ever feeling anxious or wanting to unwind at the end of a stressful day or going into a situation where I don't know a lot of people those are the things that I will go to instead of alcohol but I will say you know since being off of alcohol I've gotten a lot better at making friends with people on my own and letting my personality shine through. And that's something else, like, I guess, full circle that I've been loving about this podcast. I don't care about the numbers. I don't care about, I mean, I would love for you to share this with your friends and I would love the ratings and reviews. It makes me feel so happy to feel like I'm talking to a community of people that care and are like-minded. But what this podcast has done is given me an opportunity to step out of my comfort zone 
talk to people that I would not have spoken to anyway, learn how to establish connections with people quickly that I've never met before. And I've, I've made friends that I text, that I get information from, that I tell about my day, that I ask questions to, that I'll, that I'll just, you know, send like funny pictures to. And that's, it's been so much fun. So these are the takeaways. If you are someone that is interested in redefining or or exploring your relationship with alcohol, don't start by going cold turkey because that's not going to work for everybody. Start by setting the intention to become aware. Where are the places in your day where you go for alcohol, where you go for that can of beer, where you start to pour your wine? Commit to five minutes, three minutes, 30 seconds to internally ask yourself, why, why do I want this? And then drink it anyway, if you want, but start getting in the habit of asking yourself. Once you're in that habit, if you're ready to, commit to three days of not drinking and see how you feel. And sometimes you might not notice a difference. And this is what I like to do when I'm trying out new health stuff. Maybe not drink for three days or a week and then drink again like you normally would. And when you wake up the next morning, you'll quickly notice all how, how good you were feeling before. I don't notice how good eating at home is and all the produce I eat is until I go out and eat some trash. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then give it three days, you know, see how you feel, reassess, and then maybe start slowly implementing new things that could take the edge off that are more natural, that don't have such a icky effect on your mood and your decision-making and your health and the way that you sleep and the way that you wake up. That's going to be it for today. This felt really good and natural. I feel like I'm hanging out with you guys. Maybe I'm getting the hang of this podcast thing. I hope you have a beautiful night. I love hanging out with you guys. Have the best day ever. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me this week for this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode or you enjoy the podcast in general, I would love for you to subscribe so you'll never miss out on upcoming episodes featuring other brilliant minds and insightful topics. Also, don't forget to rate and review while you're at it. Your ratings and feedback mean the world to me and help me reach more listeners. So, Miss Dean loves you. Have the best day ever. Same time next week. Bye.